Hey everybody, welcome to Checkpoint AFK, the place where all gamers talk about all the stuff away from the keyboard. I am your host, Norris Howard. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and do all that good stuff so you can get more news. But we're going to jump right into it because we have a very special guest on the show today, Cecilia D'Anastasio. She's a writer for uh, Wired, uh, focusing on gaming. Uh, you've seen her work. It doesn't matter if you think you haven't. I guarantee you, you have seen Cecilia's work somewhere. So before we get into anything uh, too heavy or too fun, uh, we want to welcome Cecilia to the show. Uh, Robbie and Callie are also here, so whatever. But <laughs> yeah, um, we're also here. Yeah, but Cecilia, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And you know, it, it's it's funny because we had some some crazy wonky um technical stuff going on before the show, and I'm glad we could get everything uh sorted out and get you on the show here. Uh thanks to Callie. Callie was able to get everything figured out super quickly uh and get us squared away. But I think it it, it made me think of something really interesting in the fact that you know i don't see a lot of games journalists talking to like other games journalists and yet you see it all the damn time in regular media um where somebody writes a story for like the new york times and then they appear on cnn and everywhere mm -hmm. else and then it's like with games journalism this is like somebody just posts like a tweet and then they just assume that that's it so uh i'm happy that we can have somebody who is legit has put the work in uh and and really on the show so thank you for legitimizing us uh in that way um so robbie we're just we're just telling a funny story uh robbie you and cecilia met previously at an overwatch grand finals mm -hmm. um so i want to ask you guys what was it like witnessing such a one-sided blowout where everybody got to go home early and no one was satisfied uh, well, I think for me, I was actually uh, uh, kind of happy for it because they didn't do a very good job of providing good press areas this particular time. Uh, you either got to sit up uh, sort of in the nosebleed section with uh, TV screens blocking your view of everything, or you could stand down in the standing only room. So uh, only having to stand through four matches instead of a possible, you know, seven or eight uh, was, uh, was pretty nice. I have to say what? I was pretty disappointed. First of all... <laughs> Because it should have been NYXL there. Wait, hold on. Cecilia, are you a Nixel fan? Uh, oh. Actually, I learned a term, so I'm not a sports person. Never mm -hmm. watched sports. But I learned a term recently, which is called bandwagoning. And I learned this term because somebody used it in reference to my <laughs> NYXL fandom. So, um yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of my boys who are perfect. Well, if you're oh. a Nixel fan now, mm -hmm. I don't think you're a bandwagon fan. If you told me you're a Shock fan now, I would call you a That's bandwagon fair. fan. That's fair. Yeah, because there are no real Shock fans. They're like the Patriots. <laughs> there's no real. There's no real Shock fans. Like Sinatra, but I mean the slow bleed um, Overwatch to Valorant has been really disappointing and kind of like made me a little bit less interested in Overwatch League. You know what? I, let's let's. I want to explore that because Robbie is our. You know, Robbie and myself. I would say are our resident Overwatch guys, right? And and Cecilia, I am with you because a combination of the game meta, a little bit less so with that, but the game meta, the fact that the schedule has become incomprehensible, and the fact that like some of the biggest talents we know is on the way out. Like as soon as they hit the green light on Valorant, 
you got a lot of talent that's jumping ship. Like, how, how does that make you guys feel, Robbie and Cecilia, as people who who at least follow the league a little bit? Just because people are going to Valorant doesn't mean that Valorant is necessarily going to be a successful esports community. Uh, Valorant's a game that I've been playing a bit. Um, it's beta, and I think it's really fun, but it just like doesn't reach like the, the level of like really dynamic and really diverse and really just like hype and unpredictable that I think Overwatch post goats and pre goats um, achieved. So I think I think it's smart for people to stick. With Overwatch, um, and especially with Overwatch 2 coming, like, I feel like we're in a big lull right now with that esports scene in particular, but I think it's going to get hype again. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. In fact, I think that Overwatch is already on the upswing with how successful the May Melee and the Summer Showdown tournament has been. Uh, I know that, you know, the saying that perception is reality, but I think that, you know, everyone thinking that there's a big problem with Overwatch because all these big stars have left is a little overblown because really it only comes down to, I think, three major players that left. Obviously, Sinatra is the big one. Absolutely. Uh, We also saw Corey from the Washington Justice leave, who, while he was a star, uh, the Justice were also kind of floundering at that point. And uh, there was one other player now whose name, unfortunately, is escaping me. But the point is you can't remember him. But but all three of of these players in particular also got their start in competitive gaming through CSGO. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense that they're leaving to to try and pursue something that's a little bit more pure and a little bit closer to what it was that maybe originally captured them. Right, they're leaving uh, for a tactical shooter. Exactly. And again, now looking at what the Overwatch League has been able to do returning to the tournament format, uh, I think that Overwatch right now competitively, and especially watching as a viewer, is in one of the most interesting places it has ever been. Uh, The recent Genji buffs and bringing him back into the meta is almost a return to dive. And especially, you know, uh, seeing the Paris Eternal, who were eight seed in the tournament, defeat both the San Francisco Shock and the Philadelphia Fusion. It's been a great time to be a fan of Overwatch. And if you fell out of it for any reason, now is definitely time to be getting back. All right, Robbie, we get it. You like Overwatch. So the, the content? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> for sponsored content, I'd be talking more about the Outlaws. Yeah. <laughs> But the, but the, but the thing is, it's like, yo, like if it was any other sport, not even just esport, but any other sport where you're MVP, you're sitting MVP. Imagine if LeBron James says, "I'm out, I'm going to play football." The NBA is like, yo, son, what, what are you doing? Why, why, no? So it, it was, it was a bad look. It was a bad look for a while, but uh, we got some really interesting stuff to talk about on the show today. Some serious stuff and some not serious stuff. So we will be right back. Make sure you guys stick around. Hey guys, I'm Jake. And I'm Robbie Landis. And we're the hosts of The Owl's Nest, giving you that high-level perspective of the Overwatch League, checking out the news every single week. That's right. You can find us every Friday at CheckpointXP.com and over our YouTube. You can also find an audio version on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Checkpoint AFK here with Cecilia D'Anastasio of Wired. Now, Cecilia, uh, I, I, we got we we brought you on the show uh, mostly to talk about Final Fantasy, which we will get to. But one thing that I have to ask you about is you've been somebody who has been at the forefront of reporting about sexual misconduct and, and sexual assault within gaming. And last week we saw a massive. Massive, massive 
uh, spike in allegations in the fighting game community and in Smash in particular, uh, on top of all of the streamers and, and other game executives that have been accused. As someone who's been following this for a long time, um, why do you think that this is all sort of hitting at what feels like the same time? That's a good question. Um, I think that it can be very difficult to amass the courage to speak out against people in an online forum when those people have such huge fan bases. And in esports, um, that's definitely a huge issue because, I mean, we have so much precedent for people who disagree with women, with minorities, um, just sending wave upon wave of harassment um, toward them and kind of not, not necessarily silencing them, but um, bullying them. And so the floodgates have opened and people are finally speaking out. Um, I'm somebody who plays competitive Smash. I host small local tournaments just in my home with like 25 or 30 people. And I have to say that even though it's been deeply depressing to see what's been happening in the community, what's been going on behind the scenes for so long, it's beautiful and amazing that this is coming out and people are doing a lot of work to make the scene as inclusive and as safe as people thought it was for years when it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm someone who's followed the FGC for many, many years, really since, you know, the first few, uh, first few evos that were broadcast online, I've been following it, been playing street fighter my whole life. And it was disheartening to me to see the fact that there was sort of a common thread with, you know, with unfortunately young, very young underage victims. And this is a very tough subject, I think, for a lot of gamers to talk about, especially considering that there's this intrinsic link between video games and youth, even though we know most gamers are well into their adult years. But it is inextricably uh, still view that as a as a young person's thing to do for many people, and Smash in particular, unfortunately, has had this issue. As somebody who's been in it, uh, in terms of a, a Smash community member, you know how has that conversation been going on in the Smash community in terms of you know what some of the next steps might be? Yeah, so I have an article um, at Wired that should be coming out maybe in like 10 minutes, I'm not sure, but I'll spoil it for you. Um, one interesting thing that's been going on is that there are several women in the Smash community who have been um, taking down every instance of alleged assault, misconduct, um, statutory rape, and they are analyzing it for commonalities. And they are preaching what they refer to as a data-driven approach to finding solutions that will um, kind of scale across this international community. But at the same time, one of the issues that allowed predation to happen so much in Smash is that it's a very porous tournament structure. Um, unlike League of Legends, you know, and Riot and Overwatch League and Blizzard Activision, um, Smash is a very nebulous sort of non-existent relationship to its publisher, Nintendo, when it comes to esports. And, and that means that when we're thinking about a top-down solution, like a top-down code of conduct, top-down... Um, ways to kind of protect minors, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like things kind of have to be decided at the bottom and sort of filter up in a lot of ways. 
Well, I, I think that's interesting, too, because you're right. Nintendo, more than most publishers with a popular eSport on their hands, have taken a very hands-off approach to it. And in some ways, it seems like a play to kind of absolve themselves of whatever happens to happen. You know, it's like, hey, it's competitive, and if something happens, great. But if something terrible happens, also, our hands are away from that. And I thought you said something really pertinent earlier when you said... There's a pressure upon people to not, say, rock the boat or damage the community of someone who's very popular, who's of a streamer who's very popular or a competitor who's very popular. And that's such a dangerous mindset of, like, if someone's doing something terrible, I can't speak up because I don't want to risk damaging them. Like, that's such a dangerous place to be, I feel like. Yeah, and, and, and the thing about it is, especially in the FGC, because... You know, not just because of the nebulous nature of how, uh, to use that term, to see of of how the tournament structure is, but the FGC is very much so personality driven. People yeah. go to tournaments to see specific people and specific players, and not so much, you know, root for their team in the same way other esports are. And so, you know, when you have somebody who is this, you know, massive, maybe even larger than life personality for some people, um, they understand that if this person is taken down. You know, there's real damage to our scene that happens. If somebody makes an accusation, I mean, look at what happened with Evo. Mm -hmm. Something goes out against against Mr. Wizard, and Evo is just over. Like, the biggest fighting game tournament in the world is just canceled. Now, don't get me wrong. The publishers played a big role in that. They stepped out, and they stepped up and said, we won't support it and all this good stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that, an accusation was made, one that to a certain extent was admitted to, and therefore one of the biggest tournaments, even though it was online, right. one of the biggest tournament brands in the world, uh won't have its won't have its competition and, this year. And so. that's the problem, right? Because Evo at this point should be larger than one person. Like the, the fall of one person should not damage Evo given the stance of that. But look no further than traditional sports, right? Like look at golf. As much as you might want to say Tiger Woods, you know, his his disappearance didn't hurt golf, it did. It destroyed golf for the better part of five, six years. Like, it's only only in recent times now is it starting to see a semblance of the success that it had. I'm going to push back against this a little bit because I think that you guys are sort of underestimating the um, factors that have, like, led up to this moment. Mm-hmm. So, like, Mr. Wizard appears to be sort of a creep and I understand why people wouldn't want to affiliate with him, but um, Evo is a very fraught sort of event, especially financially speaking. I mean, to be associated with Evo, I mean, you don't always get a lot out of it and you put so much into it. Esports are essentially a brand exercise for a lot of these companies. And so they're making very tough brand marketing decisions about their bottom line. And I wouldn't be surprised if, Capcom um, decided that, you know, maybe even a while ago that this wasn't something that they wanted to be a part of. Well, and, 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 you know, you, you do have a point from that standpoint because, I mean, Mortal Kombat already was not involved. They already had their own tournament circuit. Capcom yeah. Pro Tour is its own tournament circuit. Doesn't necessarily need Evo. I'm not necessarily sure. But for, I think, for the average viewer and for the person who uh, tangentially you know, may be interested or follows esports or the fighting game community in general. I think Evo was a good way uh, for people to sort of coalesce around that one big event. And I think 
uh, I, I agree with you in the sense that Evo had its issues even before Mr. The, the Mr. Wizard stuff came out. But um, I also think that Evo's uh, absence leaves a massive vacuum in not just the fighting game community, but in just esports as a whole. And especially mm-hmm. given the circumstances, I, I think it sucks immensely uh, that we won't have it this year. It's, it's an event I look forward to every year. That's I was going to actually go to for COVID, yeah. Well, but to your point though, that even talking about people who participate in Evo who really don't get a whole lot out of it, like that's the fighting game community in a nutshell. Like that is one of their biggest issues. They are rife with underfunded tournaments, both on a staffing side and a prize pool side. If you aren't like a top five competitor in your game, and in some games, not even a top five competitor is good enough, you can't really make it playing fighting games, which is really frustrating. Yeah, and Robbie yeah, makes sure. fun of me all the time for it. Look, uh, uh, I know that I like to pull jokes that Farming Simulator has a bigger, bigger prize pool than the FGC. Uh, That's true. But, but it is an issue, and, you know, I, I mean, as, as someone who just sort of is casually into fighting games, Evo is the big-name one. You know, the way that we describe it on our national show is that Evo is essentially, like, the Super Bowl of, of fighting game tournaments. And I, I don't see with, with the fighting game community being as grassroots as it is and, and with the few, you know, big brand names that are involved with it now pulling out, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you had mentioned, Cecilia, that, uh, you know, the Smash community is still finding ways to come together, finding ways to thrive, uh, you know, amidst all of these, the, the, these, these allegations and these stories. But I'm still afraid, like, like, is the fighting game community going to be irreparably damaged by this and and not just in the smash community but as a whole by losing out on something like evo what is the 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 long-term fallout from that going to be so my hot take is that smash's shitty net code probably did more to mess up its short-term success from a tournament perspective than evo's demise um absolutely but like big shout out to the rollback netcode that just came out for Melee because that that's sick. I've been having a lot of fun with that. Um, the second thing I just want to say is that like irreparable damage, I just don't see it that way. And I think a lot of other people don't see it that way too. Like, I mean, the careers of alleged abusers are damaged. People's hopes um, that were pinned on those people are damaged. People's vision for what the Smash scene looked like, you know, inclusive, open is damaged but um all of this is on the surface because underlying that things are really getting changed and like people are going to be way more sensitive about their behavior and about um you know the the power dynamic between pros and and fans about um how awful it is to be a woman attending these tournaments which is something i've experienced personally like I, I just don't I don't see it that way. I think it's very positive that people are coming out with this stuff right now. Yeah, and and and, and I I agree with that. I think you know what we're seeing is a massive reckoning as we're seeing in many different sectors on many different topics uh, in really all of Western society right now. Um, but I think when it comes to the fighting game community, I think what you've seen, especially in the past five six years 
is a group of developers that have so wholly dedicated themselves to making these really great experiences that, I mean, you could say from Street Fighter 4 on, the fighting game community from a game and content perspective is as bad is is as good as it's ever been. And I think when you have that many people involved, other tournaments will arise. We talk about CEO and everything that Jabali has done down there. I'm cool where if Evo disappeared and CEO became the big thing, I'm cool with that because what they've done there is create a very unique experience that is wholly separate from Evo and yet still has that same level of excitement. So Cecilia is absolutely right. There are plenty of people still in this community that not only uh, have earned the right to be praised, in many ways deserve our praise Mm -hmm. for running really great, really awesome, safe tournaments. And I think the more we begin to see those names elevated, maybe that's the point is maybe let's not elevate them too much. But the, the point is the more we see those names put out there, um, I think the better the community will be. But I think I want, I, I have one more question on this topic for Cecilia. And that is, you know, where do you think the tournament organizers sit in terms of, of of this whole ecosystem, right? Because, you know, we hear a lot about what's happening and how some of these people are interfacing with their underage fans or underage competitors. You know, where do you think the tournament organizers fit within this uh, in terms of making the FGC a little bit safer? Oh, yeah, I got some thoughts about this. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that nearly enough scrutiny has been cast on tournament organizers. Like, on the basis to base levels when you are a woman who shows up to a smash tournament for example and this is something that happened to me maybe you forgot your controller that day and there are going to be guys out there who don't want to lend you a controller right or maybe like you're just going to get a buy for no reason and no one ever explains that to you or people are giving you unwanted attention positive or negative that you don't want you just want to compete tournament organizers never seen anyone interfere in a situation like that before on a level above that I mean, anyone can go to these tournaments, right? Um, they're just like, I, I go to one that's 21 and up in New York, but just like minors can show up without parents. Organizers don't really care about that, do they? I mean, level up from that, like are tournament organizers communicating with each other about who's banned and who's not banned and what sort of allegations exist? Like on every single level that we're talking about, like there is just like egregious negligence. And I, I just feel like, that needs to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, and- if the if the FGC is to remain grassroots it, and it is to remain kind of organically built the way it is, yeah, the the tournament organizers are going to end up taking a degree of culpability mm-hmm. in this, right? Like well, it, they have no choice, right? They when you put no on when you put that. on a tournament, you are responsible for what they have happens. No and 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 I brought this up on a previous episode uh, of the concept of do fighting game events or esports events just need to be 18 and up and you know it was kind of met with a weird sort of maybe answer but in this case i really do think yo if you're not accompanied by an adult and you're under 18 you cannot enter the venue and that sounds more so like blaming the the kids but 
in many other public instances, we simply would not allow that to happen, especially in these in these enclosed events. And so I, I personally think if I was a tournament organizer, that would be my go to. Um, but that doesn't say or control anything happening in these hotels or cafes or anything like that. So I understand that it's not an end all end all be all. But Cecilia, you will have the last word on this topic. Oh, sure. Um yeah, like I don't I I like I think it's exciting that so many top Smash players like got their laurels when they were like fifteen or sixteen. Like I'm always rooting for like um Zach Ray or like MK Leo when he was coming up too. Just like I think that's so exciting. And I would love to see young people like earn a, a measure of confidence through Smash at local tournaments like in the future. I don't think they should be banned from tournaments um without their parents being there, but I do feel like organizers should be like trained in like seeing um, sexual misconduct and that young people should get like a wristband or something. Yeah. 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 Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weird Beard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers, we've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio. Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP. Your home for esports and gaming. Got it that time. Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. Checkpoint AFK, one more time. Your host, Norris Howard, here, joined alongside our very special guest, Cecilia D'Anastasio of Wired, as well as Callie Sloan and Robbie Landis. And I am so excited to talk about this with, with you guys because let me tell you something. Cecilia, you first you know, got on some of our radar when you wrote a very interesting uh, piece uh, for Kotaku at the time about the secret brothels of Final Fantasy fourteen, And on this very show, oh. Callie Sloan here admitted to working in one of those said brothels <laughs> as an erotic role player. I did. And so, and so uh, I found a very funny parallel in that sense. Um, so, and Robbie, we, we all come out of a Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, podcast we, we're Callie and I still play Robbie has since abandoned the game um, and here you have me talking about it again you will never get away from this game apparently man. not you will never get away um but Cecilia I just want to ask you know are you still playing the game how are you enjoying it what are you what are you finding uh fun about the game if you're still playing yeah before I say that I want to say I think it's great that you found that way to express yourself in this game and i oh. am not going to make fun of you for that thank you I think it's creative and fun it and is. like i love i love that people experiment in final fantasy 14 i am still playing it um i'm i just switched from black mage to dark knight mostly so i'm like i'm tanking a lot and that's just been such a cool experience yes. like we're doing these like i'm on um 
an LBGTQ server. Are you on Mateus? That's where I am. I'm not. Okay. I'm, There's a lot of LGBTQ servers nowadays. In in the early days, there was like one. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and as as an ally, I've been participating in alliance um, raids that are just like huge raids. Everyone wears their colors, uh, their their respective sort of um, flag, and you know, tanking in something like that is so cool. Sorry, I love I'm that. like I, no, like, I love. This so much did you switch over Robbie, from Robbie, Robbie chased them. <laughs> it's hilarious because what makes it so funny is I, I still I still play and I still love the game as well but it, it's it's funny because I, I find my relationship with the game so different um because I was there since 1.0 I have seen this game be terrible <laughs> and now now that Yes. And now that this game is so much more fun to at least play, uh, I, I find I play it too much. Like I'll, I'll play it for a chunk of like two months and I'll do everything. And then I'll burn out because all of my friends disappear from the server every once in a while. And it makes me sad. And I don't want to go join Callie on Mateus because I'm on Balmung. And if I leave Balmung, I will never get back into Balmung. That's true. Ever. You won't. Well, I, if you log in at like five in the morning, you might be able to get back on to Balmung, but it's that. tough. I'm a grown up. I'm asleep. I can't <laughs> log in at four a.m. to get my spot back in the Balmung. But Robbie, yeah, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Why won't you play Shadowbringers? Oh, so, so yeah, I I I have a vastly different relationship uh, <laughs> uh, with the game. I I've started uh, back in Final Fantasy Eleven. You know when it the, 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 that was my first entry into MMOs. You too. Uh, and, oh, and yeah, that's great. Yes. That's awesome. Another yeah, so, geek. you know, when it comes to the 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 challenge and and just the the amount of time needed to invest in Final Fantasy XI, you know, eventually I went into to World of Warcraft, which redefined you know the casual aspect of uh, uh, you know MMOs. And when I eventually got into Final Fantasy XI, I loved it, and I think it was mainly because of the the the, the narrative. To this day, when it comes to a Realm Reborn and uh, Heaven's Ward, like those are stories that can rival even the traditional uh, mainland Final Fantasy stories uh, uh, in my mind. But what I started to see, or what I started to sort of experience, is developers of Final Fantasy XIV, I think, started to take more of that casual. Um, perspective when it came to playing you know the making sure that everyone's having fun to make sure everyone's feeling as rewarded as everyone else is and i wanted to see the game grow and when i was looking at because i was kind of playing both 14 and world of warcraft at the same time mm-hmm. and when the challenging content just looked like watered down versions of the raids that i wanted but just with bigger numbers for the savage stuff Right. It just got to a point where I felt like every update was just more of the same stuff. You know, you, you, Norris mentioned that you can basically log on every few months and kind of just do everything within a month. Yeah. And if you're playing update by update, you can kind of knock that out in like a Two week's weeks. time, right? right. And, yeah. and I, I felt like the game wasn't fulfilling. And obviously, you know, we did Limit Break Radio, uh, a podcast for it, where we slowly sort of uh, fell into this antagonistic sort of uh, role within the community. Yeah, we sure and, did. And I think for, for 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 the longest time, what what I what we weren't able to reconcile with is this is just the game. This is the the, the game is what it is. Yeah. And when we realized that it wasn't going to be what we wanted it to be, 
and yeah. we weren't financially beholden to that project and we were able to step away, I became a lot more happier. I don't I don't begrudge the game for being what it is because a lot of yeah. people still enjoy it. And I'm definitely in in the camp, not just with games, but with all sorts of media that you shouldn't try to change something into what it isn't. You know, look at what the creators are trying to do with it. And if it's just not for you, it's not for you. But what Listen, they I, no, they I'm telling very, you, very, very well. and I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, what was it before Shadowbringers? The the, the one in the middle there, Stormblood. Uh, Stormblood. Yes, yeah. Stormblood's story. I'm sorry, was so yeah the thousand shit. listen the, the thousand so year old tree the thousand the... year computer tree. I will never forgive them for the thousand year old computer tree. I just I I'm I'm what, not going back. What if I told you back. that Shadowbringers is a better story than a Realm Reborn or Heavensward? Because it is. It's so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, I, I finished it. It's I so good. Are, okay, here's here's the hot take. And Norris, I saw you posting about like hills you will die on in Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> yes, hill I will die on is that. All of the plot of this game that I have experienced so far, and I'm level 61, has sucked and been completely and totally incomprehensible. And yes. also, yep. as a formal Final Fantasy XI player, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Whatever. Don't it's stupid. <laughs> this game is dumb. Okay, <laughs> This game is dumb. Okay? Yep. But you just like gotta that. experience it. There's nothing about it that makes sense. 11 made even less sense <laughs> than 14 does. And people, and people praise 11 as if it is the greatest MMO story ever written. This I'm sorry. Still, this is so it's weird. Not. Norris, you, right now, like, like, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm watching you and we could take Final Fantasy XIV out of the equation and sub in Kingdom Hearts and it's the exact same uh, uh. Uh, argument that they give. No. It's uh, not. Uh, I don't it know. Kind it's, of is. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you why it's not the same thing. Because at its core, because at its core, Final Fantasy fourteen and eleven are still incredibly deep games with rewarding gameplay and the ability to control what it is that you want to do within the game. That gives you multiple pathways to play the way you want to play. Kingdom Hearts is mass square and fly in your robot Lego ship until you fight Sephiroth at the end and hope that it makes sense. That's Kingdom Hearts. I don't like Kingdom Hearts. A little. I'll tell you what. I I remember trying to explain Chains of Promathia to someone even today, and it is incomprehensible nonsense, and I loved every minute of it because I was 16 when I played it. Listen, I I, have to do a call out right now. Because I think you guys forgot. I think you guys forgot this. You actually had me on Limit Break Radio to talk about Final Fantasy XI maybe like four uh-huh. years ago. Yeah, oh, you didn't. Oh, no, of course not. We remember. Listen, yeah. you yeah. were so nice when I said that I played eleven. Like we had an extended conversation about eleven. <laughs> because I'm I, mean, surprised. I don't know that I can remember the conversation itself, but yes, I know that we had you on the I show. Am... Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I am surprised. I am surprised. When anybody tells me they played 11, because 11 is not an easy game to mm-hmm. start, play, finish, do anything in. Ninja also started in, in sure I think, he did. 11. He was another one, he yeah. Sure did. Yeah. He sure did. Um, what class was he? I think he was a bard. Yeah. When I saw him play, he was a Corsair. 
So I think he was a dragoon. All the best players were dragoons. Like oh, shut up! He was not a dragoon, Callie. Shut up! Nobody wanted to be a dragoon in eleven. I did. A lot of people did, and they oh. were wrong. <laughs> I said that. Said I was a black mage. I subbed red mage, and I used to get so much shit for that. Okay, people in that game had like really rigid ideas of like what was okay and what was not okay. Wait, yeah, Listen. that's weird. On my server, red mage was a popular stuff for black mage because of the fast cast. Yeah, it was a popular sub on my uh, yeah. a popular sub on my server too. That's weird. Listen, I was a I was a I was a K Club Dark Knight, so I can't talk to anybody. You had a Kraken uh, Club? Yeah. I not not like... like the Meyer version of a Kraken Club, you had like a real Kraken Club. No, I had a K Club. <laughs> I feel like you're a better person than me. I don't I, I don't feel like I'm like we're like you're like upper class. I feel like a second class Vanadil citizen right now. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I, I you know what? I I ended up not uh I had a friend of mine convince me to sell it uh when the economy got bad. When the economy got bad. Um and I ended up actually having more fun because I had to actually learn how to play the class at that right. point. What to actually do. Um, yeah, what they actually do. But, you know, Cecilia, you bring up a very interesting point talking about 14 story because you're right. It, it In a vacuum, it's stupid. Um, but the thing that I want to say and, and why I want Robbie to experience Shadowbringers so much and, and without spoiling it too much for anybody that hasn't played it. But, Robbie, your favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy IX, a pure fantasy story. It is It is back to the basics. It is rooted in everything you love Final Fantasy for. And I'm telling you, Shadowbringers is that for 14. Am I wrong, Callie? You're not wrong. It, you're right. It, it's a lot of back to basic stuff. But what, what Shadowbringers does that for me sold me on the expansion was to say, listen, yes, you are the warrior of light. Yes, you are the main character. That does not make you an immortal deity. We're going to play with your mortality and let you feel what it's like to not be all-powerful, which was super cool for me because you don't see that often in MMOs. Like, before this game, I did 11, where you always feel like you can do no wrong. And I did the Old Republic, where I played a Sith warrior, where literally they treat you like a walking deity from the word go. So to do get to do an expansion where you aren't just this immortal god and there's actually like concerns about like your the fact that like hey you might not come out of this alive like that was cool i really appreciated that yeah see the 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 other issues that i had with it was the amount of you know tie-in stuff that they did or or you know put pulling raids from yeah whether it was uh uh, final fantasy 12 or i know they did or or near and near in this case yeah Yeah, the near rate is is butt cheeks because when when they did original stuff it was it was so good and i had so much fun with it and they just started leaning so much on the the theme park aspect of it that that just turned me off and and i believe you guys that 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 shadowbringers is is the best expansion yet but uh, unfortunately uh, since walking away from it, you know, there's never been any even like small twinge of nostalgia yeah. where I'm like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what it's like now, or maybe I could go back for a weekend. I've never felt any of that. It's just it's oh. been so freeing yeah. being able to step away from this game. You know yeah. what I do? We'll say that to that, Robbie. Though, is now that I don't do Limit Break Radio and I don't have to consume every bit of content so that I have something to talk about every week. Yeah, you're right. There is the near raid, and I've not done it, and I just ignore it because I think it's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. And it's it's so dumb. much easier when I don't have to do it. 
Yeah, and, and and you know, Cecilia, as somebody who also just got into tanking in in this game, because I, I played I played Dragoon in this game. Uh, I hate it in eleven, but in this game, Ooh. it's no in fourteen is jump and cowabunga. But uh, I just got into tanking, and I'm gonna tell you right now, that's the way to experience this game. If you're not tanking in fourteen, you are missing out but uh did we you two get so- did you two get into tanking because the queue times on dps are awful you can admit it if it's yes. true yes that's absolutely true no but <laughs> nice perk well, that in overwatch oh, fair <laughs> point yeah. it's no, also tanking, tanking is better. like when you are the first person to walk into a room with like a boss in it like to me, and like your party's behind you, like that. To me, like that's the most epic experience of the game. I think it's really. Fun. You know what? I can see that, like, because like that's kind of like the Warrior of Light appeal, right? Like, oh, there's the giant boss. I'm gonna dive in and attack. And you're right. As the DPS, I have to sit back and wait for the tank to start combat before I jump in and start doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you do kind of right. feel like you know second fiddle before a little you bit. Jump in. Ah, uh, stop, Robbie. <laughs> stop. I hate you. Anyway. Anyway, I'm I'm happy we can have this little walk down memory lane of 14. It listen, it, holla at me, Prince Clary on Balmung if you. He'll even invite you to his imaginary uh, vineyard. If you're on I do have a vineyard, Robbie. Shut up. That I run and it is very successful, by the way. Anyway, so uh, yeah, come holla at me. You can get some nice Pinot Grigio. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's it was great to have Cecilia on the show. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. And uh, that's going to be it for us here on Checkpoint AFK for this week. And Cecilia, you are welcome. Anytime you want to come and talk about 14, we will make sure Robbie is there so we can torture Great. him a little bit. <laughs> Great. Thank you for having me.